Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke 7, verses 36 to 50, and then we'll pick from Luke 8, from one, verses 1 to 3. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eaten at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denera and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Madeline, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanne, the wife of Chisa, the manager of Herod's household, Suzanne, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Helena. I do. Um, uh, thank you so much for reading, Helena. I was, as Helena was reading, I was reminded that when I was growing up and we were living in Leeds at the time, uh, my best friend at school was called Helena. So we had Helena and Eleanor. But of course, in Leeds, the H wasn't really there. So we were Eleanor and Eleanor. And um, I do remember once I sat on the, I was only four or five, I sat on the Meccano box at school and it broke. And um, I blamed my best friend, Helena. And, um, and I, I told the, the teacher that it was her and not me. I did get found out and have to stand in a corner. But anyway, whenever I, I was... Yeah, I don't know why I told you that story. I just thought I would. Uh, but thank you so much for reading that. And before I say anything else I should regret, uh, let's pray before we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you um, that we have the privilege to read your word and to look at this beautiful story this morning. I pray that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series looking at Luke. I do encourage you, if you haven't got one in front of you, to open um, the Bible onto Luke chapter 7, verses 36, to the end of that chapter, and just beyond, or to find your uh, Luke's Gospels. I've just had one waved at me, um, if you're uh, using that and taking notes, uh, because we're going to really focus on the story of what goes on uh, this morning. But before we do, here is an extract from Dinner Party Etiquette by Mrs. Beaton. And here's a picture of the book it's from. It's from Mrs. Beaton's book of household management. Okay, here we go. Dinner being announced, the host offers his arm to and places on his right hand at the dinner table the lady to whom he desires to pay most respect, either on account of her age, position, or from her being the greatest stranger in the party. It will be found of great assistance to the placing of a party at the dinner table to have the names of the guests neatly and correctly written on small cards and placed at that part of the table where it is desired they should sit. White kid gloves are worn by ladies at dinner parties, but should be taken off before the business of dining commences. It is generally established, as a rule, not to ask for soup or fish twice, as, in doing so, part of the company may be kept waiting too long for the second course, when, perhaps, a little revenge is taken by looking at the awkward consumer of a second portion. This rule, however, may, under various circumstances, not be considered as binding. When dinner is finished, the dessert is placed on the table accompanied with finger glasses. It is the custom of some gentlemen to wet the corner of the napkin, but the hostess, whose behaviour will set the tone to all the ladies present, will merely wet the tips of her fingers, which will serve all the purposes required. The French and other continentals have a habit of gargling the mouth, but it is a custom which no English gentleman should, in the slightest degree, imitate. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You know, that's uh, Mrs. Beaton's dinner party etiquette uh, for dinner parties from the 1860s. Um, I'm just trying to imagine how that would go down on Come Dine With Me, or maybe at Sunday lunch today. It would be interesting to see uh, whether we hold on to any of those rules. Now, I've not, I've not gone mad. There, there is a reason why I thought it would be uh, good to read that out. We've been looking at Luke. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke with a little break as we looked at another of the Gospels during over Easter. Um, and Luke writes quite a bit about dinner parties, about eating together. And the reading that we heard today from Luke 7 has 
in some ways, quite a lot in common with that sort of dinner party etiquette of Mrs. Beaton. Here's a picture of um, maybe what the scene might have looked like. We've got the woman, we've got Jesus, and we've got the Pharisee just in that top right-hand corner. At the time of Jesus, there were certain rules you were meant to follow, especially if you were a Pharisee, like Simon. He's the host of this dinner party that Jesus was invited to. And as Luke tells us, it's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee, and he's invited Jesus to dine at his house, which in itself actually is quite surprising. Because just before this event, Jesus has told off those who've mocked him for eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And of course, we know, we've looked back and we've seen, say in Luke 4, this is part of Jesus' ministry to bring good news to the poor, to the tax collectors and so on. And of course, those who've mocked Jesus have included the Pharisees. But I think what we see about this Pharisee is that he's not made up his mind about Jesus yet. He's not become necessarily that sort of grumbling Pharisee who's negative about Jesus. So he's invited him to his house, maybe in order to find out more about who Jesus is. So Jesus turns up at this house and he takes his place at the table. In fact, he reclines at the table, which would have been the thing that was done with the guest of honor. And then Luke tells us about this woman turning up. It's likely that she turned up uninvited, and she certainly doesn't follow the rules of the time, let alone those of Mrs. Beaton. She turns up and acts in in what seems to Simon in a very inappropriate manner. And so what I want to look at this morning is these three characters that Luke focuses on in this whole passage. passage. He focuses on their actions. He looks at their reactions. And then, of course, we can look at the outcome of this incident. So let's have a look then. This is the woman. We're told in this passage in Luke that this woman is um, someone who's led a sinful life, that she's known for this. So she has a past, probably the best way to describe it in some ways. It's probable that she was a prostitute. She would be known. So she would have been fraternizing with the the Gentiles in the area. That's those who weren't Jewish. And so she comes and breaks much of the etiquettes, the hospitality rules of the time. Because firstly, as I've said, she is a sinner. She's unclean. She was associating with Gentiles. Um, So she shouldn't be um, entering this Pharisee house in the first place. But then she does more because she weeps over Jesus' feet, the dirtiest part of his body. That would have been seen as unclean uh, for the Pharisees and the Jewish law. If you remember, the law meant that being clean was vital. I love the fact that she weeps so much that she's able to bathe his feet with her tears. You know, this isn't just a couple of drops of tear. This is enough to wet his feet so that she has to wipe them. That's a lot of tears. Why is she crying so much? Well, we'll have a think about that in a moment. But isn't that a powerful image? You know, Jesus' feet being drenched, if you like, by these salty tears of this woman. 
In some ways, what we can see here is that she is showing incredible insight into who Jesus was, especially in comparison to the Pharisee. Next, we read that she lets down her hair to dry his feet. Now, I know it doesn't say that she let down her hair, but unless she managed to stand on her head, it's likely that she let down her hair to do this. And it's hard to imagine in our culture why that would be seen as not right. But if we think of it like the fact that those who would have seen this would see it as on par with what we would see now as appearing topless in public, that's the level of what it would have been like, then it helps us to understand a little bit more about what she was doing. Hair and head covering was an important thing in this culture. And we can see that when we look forward into 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about that. And what it was seen as was very disrespectful and maybe even sordid to let down your hair. Then, if crying over his feet and drying them with her hair isn't enough, she continues by kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. This woman is uninvited. She's probably a prostitute, which would mean she shouldn't be associating herself with a Pharisee, let alone in their mind, Jesus acts in a completely unexpected way. She's breaking um, rules of etiquette, and it's culturally inappropriate what she does. And so in some ways, it's no wonder Simon responds in the way he does. So let's have a look at Simon the Pharisee. There he is. Remember what I said earlier, that Simon probably hasn't made his mind up about Jesus, hence why he's invited Jesus to his home. So before we make up our mind about him, let's remember that. This Pharisee who's invited Jesus into his home for a dinner party wasn't expecting any of this to happen. He wasn't expecting this woman to turn up and he wasn't expecting Jesus to act in the way he did towards her. And so the Pharisee says to himself, hang on a minute, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. So what we see here happening is that this Pharisee is labeling this woman as the sinner. He's seen her actions and he sees them as consistent with her occupation. He's seen what she has done and he's come to his own conclusions about her. But because of this, he can't see how Jesus could be a prophet, let alone the Son of God. If Jesus can associate with sinners in this way, I don't know what I think he's thinking. But what about the way you're meant to act as a Pharisee? Act as the Pharisee's thinking. You know, what about the rules? It's a little bit like he's blinded by the rules. He's unable to see what the woman is responding to and why she's acting in the way she does. So that's Simon. But what about Jesus? Here's Jesus. Well, Jesus, the first thing he does is he speaks to the Pharisee by his first name. That's probably a little bit like someone speaking to you by your full name or your first and second name, or whether, whether your parents ever did that to you. It'd be like, Eleanor Ruth. I'll give him my middle name away there. But anyway, what, what, whatever it might be, it suggests that he wants the Pharisee to understand. We do that, don't we, when we want someone to really take in what we're saying. And what does Jesus do? He tells a parable. 
The person says Jesus, who has the greater debt cancelled, will be the one who will love the person who cancels the debt more. Jesus is saying here that forgiveness of sins is like the cancelling of debts. When we're forgiven, any debt against us is cancelled. And as Jesus shows, the response we make is one of love, one of gratefulness, one of bowing down and worshipping Jesus for what he has done. And what do we see here? That is what the women, woman does at this point. As she's crouched at Jesus' feet, washing them, responding to who Jesus is. Just before uh, this passage in verse 34, Jesus describes his opposition as the one calling him friend of sinners. Maybe she's heard that. Maybe she's heard about who Jesus is and wants to find out more. Maybe she realizes and comes to before him. So the fact is, what we see here is that the Pharisees got it all wrong. And Jesus goes on to demonstrate this by showing how the Pharisee himself has got the etiquette wrong because Jesus was a guest of honor and he didn't treat him like that. You know, if Mrs. Beaton were around at this point, she probably would have given Simon a severe reprimanding for how he was acting. Just look at the contrasts between the Pharisee and the woman as Jesus explains them. Firstly, the Pharisee should have given Jesus water for his feet, but he didn't. The woman does far more than this, doesn't she? She washes Jesus' feet with her tears and then dries them with her hair. Next, the Pharisee should have greeted Jesus with a kiss, but he doesn't. But the woman kisses Jesus' feet. Next, the Pharisee should have anointed Jesus' head with oil, but he didn't. The woman, on the other hand, anoints Jesus' feet, not just with ordinary oil, but with expensive perfume. And remember, all of these acts by the woman are on Jesus' feet. The feet were unclean, showing all the more the humble nature of her actions. Actually, when we think about washing feet, it's, it's even an intimate act today, isn't it? Um, it was a real privilege on Maundy Thursday to wash people's feet um, as we did that on that Thursday evening service. It's a real intimate act even today. And so when we look at the full picture of these three characters once more, there are two possible interpretations of the woman's actions. She could have been acting like her reputation, entering the dinner party and acting like a prostitute, letting down her hair, and so on and so forth, acting in the way the Pharisee sees it. Or she could have been responding to Jesus, loving much because she was forgiven much. And of course, that's how Jesus saw it. So maybe that is the reason for her tears. The sheer relief, maybe, the response to who Jesus was and what he was able to do. The one called to bring good news to the poor, to the friend of sinners. What is so clear here is that the woman does far more than the Pharisee even should have done. She demonstrates a sort of an, an extravagant love. An extravagant love in response to the extravagant gift of love and forgiveness found through Jesus. And as Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as, as her great love has shown. 
but the one who has been forgiven little loves little. This woman was a sinner. She was seen as unclean, as unwanted, probably on the edge of society. And the Pharisees saw her and her actions in that way. But her many sins, says Jesus, had been forgiven. And her loving was demonstrating this forgiveness. So I want to make it really clear this morning that she wasn't forgiven because of the love that she showed. That was evidence of her being forgiven. That verse, uh, verse 50, makes this even clearer. Your faith has saved you. It is by faith that we are saved. It is by faith that we are forgiven. It's not about anything that we try and do ourselves. Your faith has saved you, says Jesus. Go in peace. And I don't know about you, but I wonder what happens next. I want to know, and I'm going to ask when I meet them, but I want to know what happens next to this woman. We don't know for definite. Maybe she was one of those women who accompanied Jesus in his ministry, which we heard about at the end of our reading this morning. I love that, by the way. I love the fact that um, it's a reminder of the women that were on the journey with Jesus. It wasn't just those 12 men. Those women were there as well. In fact, they were contributing financially. That's really good for us to be reminded of, maybe particularly those of us who are women this morning. But I wonder what happened to her. The fact is, when we are forgiven in this way, when we are forgiven much, we don't just go back to what we were doing. We try to change. We ask God to help us to follow him. We walk with Jesus. We go in peace knowing we are forgiven. And surely our response to Jesus' extravagant gift of forgiveness is loving him extravagantly. As I was preparing the sermon, I was really struck by the perfume I don't know whether you're like me, but I love perfume. And I love a particular perfume. And I'm really sad because it's going out of production. And I'm not quite sure what to do with myself. So I've tried other perfumes that are cheaper to see if they work. And they smell the same and they don't. And you have to put a lot more on. So even though they're cheaper, you probably get through more. So you have to spend more anyway. Um, I haven't succeeded in finding what I'm going to use. However... When I use the real perfume that I really like, and I'm wearing it today on purpose, I can still smell it on my clothes days later. So imagine the smell. Imagine the smell of this perfume that this woman has poured. You know, I only spray a tiny little bit, and I can smell it on my clothes. But she wipes Jesus' feet with it. She wipes it with her hair. It's on her hands. That smell must have been in the air. In fact, in other uh, versions of this, in the other Gospels, we read that the scent filled the air of the house. She must have smelt that smell for a long time afterwards. And I love that, because surely that would have been a reminder to her of what she did, and a reminder to her of what Jesus had done for her. And I just love that beautiful image Some of us know that that scent brings back things, doesn't it? And I just wonder whether we just need to somehow smell the goodness of Jesus. I don't know how that might be for us. It might be a different, uh, different sense, but how might Jesus be doing that for us? 
We also don't know how Simon the Pharisee then responded to all that Luke tells us. He doesn't tell us the, the, the ongoing thing. But what Jesus was telling Simon was that he needed to think about how he responded to the woman. She was forgiven. She was saved. He's told her to go in peace. The Pharisee needed to welcome her just like that. He needed not to look down his nose at her, not to come to conclusions, not label her with her occupation. Jesus was also telling Simon that he needed to recognize that he too was a sinner, that although he tried to follow the rules, there were times when he slipped up. How often do we look down our noses at others? How often do we think of the rules and how others should live, forgetting the fact that we need to look at ourselves too? That plank and um, little twig in our eyes, that's the sort of image there, isn't it? Maybe Simon would have smelled the perfume for some time afterwards as well, around the house, reminding him of what went on. It must have got into the floor, it must have got into the furniture. Um, I don't know how many of you are on Twitter. Um, I am, although I'm really not sure why at times, because it makes me want to throw my phone out of the window quite regularly. But this week, there was um, some activity on Twitter about how someone had done a baptism in a certain way, I'm guessing to help a child feel comfortable with the water. And this minister got such ridicule on Twitter for this, because it wasn't quite following the rules even though it enabled someone to be okay with water. And I have to say, I found it really sad. Whatever, you know, whatever they did, I still found it really sad, because what did it do? It showed Anglican Twitter, again, in a really bad light. It showed Anglican Twitter, actually, as being pretty pharisaical, if we're honest, not seeing the bigger picture of grace and love. Maybe that's something we need to hold on to about how we uh, respond to others who might be different from ourselves, who might do things slightly differently from ourselves. And so finally then, this passage leaves us with three questions. First question is this. Are you like the Pharisee? Are you like Simon who wanted to know Jesus but was too caught up in the rules or too caught up in what others were doing? If so, I want to encourage you to watch out that you don't become like Mrs. Beaton, that you don't focus on the rules and how things should be done. See how the woman responded to Jesus, demonstrating extravagant love. Maybe there's a need for you to acknowledge that you need Jesus just as much as she does. Rules don't stop you. They're there to help, but sometimes we can act as if they're the most important thing. Maybe there isn't a challenge there to act extravagantly. Or are you like the woman? Maybe you're aware that you need to come to Jesus, that you need to ask for forgiveness. Or, as we were praying before the service, maybe you recognize that you need to forgive yourself. Jesus took our sins on himself. Jesus says to whoever we are, go in peace to walk with me. Your sins are forgiven. All you need to do is come to him, to recognize that you need to come to him, to give him what you've done wrong, because he can take it. He ate with sinners. He allowed a prostitute to wipe his feet with her tears. He wants to meet with you 
as well. Finally, are you like the other guests? See how they responded. Who is this who even forgives sins? Maybe you're hearing this today and there's a stirring in your heart. Who is this we're singing about? Who is this Jesus? Surely he can't forgive me, maybe you're thinking. Well, yes, he can, whatever it is. Jesus came to forgive you just as much as anyone else. And if that is you, I really encourage you to look into who Jesus is. Come on the next Alpha course, chat to one of us after the service, or even give your life to Jesus today. Whichever one of those you are, Jesus asks one thing. He asks that we put our faith and our trust in him, that we look to him and that we respond to his extravagant love and forgiveness by loving him extravagantly. I love this image of this poor woman pouring out this perfume, giving extravagantly in worship. How might we do that today and this week? Let's pray. Just inviting the band uh, to come back. Because uh, in a moment we're going to uh, sing a song all about pouring out the oil of love. But first, let's pray. Just reminded of those words from a Graham Kendrick song, may the fragrance of Jesus fill this place. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, this woman who uh, poured perfume on your feet. We thank you for all that we can learn uh, from it. We thank you for the beauty of the image. Thank you that that perfume would have stayed around, reminding her of your forgiveness and love. Speaking afresh maybe to Simon, even to Jesus. And I pray for each one of us this morning, whether we are uh, like that Pharisee or like the woman or like the crowd, uh, the guests, the other guests at the, the house. I pray that you would help us to know that we can be free and forgiven because of all that you have done, Jesus. And I pray that you would help each one of us to respond as we give our lives to you afresh today. Help us to bring before you an extravagant love in response to your extravagant love and forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.